Hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBoe with another episode of the Property Profits Podcast. And today it's my pleasure to be talking with Rob Brake. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm great, Dave. How are you? I am fantastic. So where are you calling in from this morning? Well, I'm sitting in sunny Oshawa right now, Oshawa, Ontario. Yep. That is uh, about a half an hour, maybe 40 minutes east of downtown Toronto. It's a lovely area and I'm here in Kamloops and life's all great. If you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Rob yet, Rob is a very accomplished real estate entrepreneur. He's also a realtor and he's a podcaster. And Rob's done a lot of interesting things with real estate investing. What we're going to kind of focus on a little bit more here today is how he takes single family homes and turns them into basically multifamily homes in the sense of adding a legal basement suite to them, as well as how he gets involved with student rentals. So really looking forward to that. So Rob, why don't we get started by how, how about if you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in real estate investing in the first place? Uh, sure. Thanks. First of all, thank you for having me on, Dave. I really do appreciate being asked to be on the show. So thank you. Thank you again for having me. So I guess really the way that we started out was it was sort of accidentally, to be perfectly honest with you. We, it's a, it's a funny story too, because when my wife and I, my wife is from this town. I met her, she was going to school with my sister and I met her there. And then I decided, you know, we got in a relationship and, we, and I decided to move back to Oshawa with her. And one of the very first places that we lived in was a basement apartment down sort of this muddy road. You had to drive through the back of the houses to get there. And I remember when we went to look at this place, I, I, I said to her, you know what? Like, we don't even need to go inside. He wasn't there yet to meet us. I said, let's just go. She said, no, 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 let's, let's go in and have a look at it. So we went in and we ended up liking the place actually. And we lived there for a few years and we met some friends that lived right next door. And a couple of years later, we heard that the owner of that house where we had lived in the basement apartment, we were moved out and on by then, mm-hmm. was looking to sell the place. And uh, I didn't know legal, not legal, any of that stuff, but it turned out that the place was a legal two-unit dwelling. So, you know, we bought that for, I think, $145,000, and that wow. was how we started, really. And that, and, you know, just going from there and realizing that basically the rental income from the basement apartment, it more than paid for our mortgage payments. We had a bunch of money left over. And yeah, so then of course, that's how you can get the bug real quick. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very exciting. And it sounds like you stumbled into it. And how did things progress after that? Did you, did you decide that that was a strategy you wanted to stick with? Or, or how, did, how did you get into what you're doing these days? Well, then, you know, what, you, what starts to happen is you watch, and I think this happens for a lot of people. I don't know how many people actually go ahead and do it, but you see those shows on HDTV about flipping and you get really excited. So that was what we wanted to do next was get into flipping. But what I actually found was if you, if you try and look for, at least back then, this is probably, I don't know, seven years ago or something like that. When I was looking for information on flipping houses, I started finding information more on flipping the purchase and sale agreement, which is otherwise known as wholesaling. Right. So I found a whole lot of information about that coming from the States. And then sort of just by chance when I was trying to find some local groups here to sort of support that kind of thing, I, uh, I ran across the Durham Real Estate Investors Club. 
run by Quentin D'Souza, who is a great guy. Yeah, I just, uh, really I just interviewed him a little while ago. So. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I haven't listened to that one yet. I listened to a few years, but I'll have to catch that one too. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. And, and one of the things that actually turned me on to it was it said, I think one of the, the landing pages said, can you buy real estate with no money? And at the time, like, I, you know, I didn't have any money. So that appealed going off. So that did. Yeah, that really appealed to me. So I went in and I started learning about that. And I actually did a couple years of wholesaling. I was, I was pretty good at it, Dave. Uh-huh. And so I'd go to the real estate clubs and get mobbed. And, and well, everyone so, so again, for people that aren't really familiar with what wholesaling is, that if, and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, Rob, but you would go out and find a good deal, get it tied up, get it under contract, right? And then mm-hmm. you would sell the deal to another real estate investor who was too busy or or didn't have time or the inclination to go out and find these good deals. And depending on, you know, how much of a margin there was going to be for the end investor, you would charge a fee, right? Basically to, to flip them the deal. Is that pretty much how it worked? I would. And, and one of the things that I find is like, I'll, uh, I'll go to the clubs and people will ask me about it, right? They want to learn, they want to do it because it's fun and it's attractive. And if you can do it right, it's something that you can continue to do, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have any money. But what I find that a lot of new people try to do is they get really greedy. They hear about these wholesale deals in the States where people are making 20 grand off, mm-hmm. off a wholesale and, and that kind of thing. And so that's what they want to do. Yeah. No, and, I'm, I'm, I'm more familiar with like two to five kind of being the, the sweet spot. Exactly. I mean, I think that the key is first of all, to make it work to prove to yourself that that can actually happen. And then maybe, you know, if the deal merits it, you'll make the money off of it. Right. But typically I tell people, you know, try and make like five to $7,500 yeah. on it. But going back to your original question, let's just distinguish a bit about the difference between what a realtor does and what a wholesaler might do. And that is that they have to have the purchase and sale agreement in order to start shopping it around. Otherwise, you're acting as a realtor, and that's just, you, you can't do that. And a lot of people don't really see the distinction between the two. Yeah, it's very, very important, right? So here, I don't know if it's the same in Ontario, but here in BC, it, you have to what's, have what's called an equitable interest in the property, even if that's a dollar. But you, mm-hmm. have, to, you have to have given the sellers some sort of financial remuneration for the contract. Yeah, that's right. And you're not selling the house, you're selling the, the purchase and sale agreement that you, have, uh, that you have negotiated between you and the seller of the house. So I did that for a little while and I bought, I, I did some flips in there, uh, had a student rental for a while and, and I sold the student rental, not because I didn't like the student rental portion of it. It was more the age of the house and it was sort of one of those money pit houses. Mm. Coincidentally, I think I fixed everything. This is what a lot of people do too, is I fixed everything and then I sold it to <laughs> someone who I actually know. And uh, the guy refers to it as his cash cow. So that's always nice. When you know. <laughs> oh man, we, we learned from those lessons though, right? Makes, it, yeah. makes us smarter. So let's yeah. fast forward. So you went from that, now you're focusing more on, you know, finding, correct me if I'm wrong, finding houses, that can be suited, that you can take the basement, you can create a legal suite in the basement. Talk to me a little bit about that. Why do you prefer that over, let's say, flipping or wholesaling? Well, I'm to- at this point in time, I'm totally against flipping. I understand if, if, 
maybe if that is someone's primary income source, why yeah. they would want to do that. But even as a realtor, like people say, well, wouldn't you make more money if your clients were buying flips? And maybe I would, but I know like, and, it, and it's different in the different markets because the last flip that I did, let's just do some quick numbers on it, Dave, if that's okay. Yeah, please. I, I bought it for $230,000. I put about $30,000 into it and I sold it for three oh five. And I was the realtor on the other side. It was the very first sale I did as a realtor. So I saved the commissions on my one side. So I made a roughly $30,000, something right in around there. Okay, well, if I had have just done nothing with that place and sat on it for another year, I probably would have made a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, so, depending on the market and what's going on. Yeah, but in that circumstance, I definitely would have made probably a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I'm not saying that's always going to happen. But what I've realized is long-term investment, sort of for me, that's where I want to be. And the deal that I was shopping at the investor clubs would be something that you can add a secondary suite to. I've always realized that that is what the investors are looking for. Mm -hmm. So when I started, when, once I built enough capital to go out and start buying things myself, that's exactly what I ended up looking for, is something where I could add a legal basement apartment to it. And there's a multitude of reasons for that, but the number one is, of course, that you can then put a little bit of money into it, or maybe a lot of money, depending, and somewhere roughly between like 75 and $100,000, let's say now. And you can create a legal secondary suite and then refinance the property and potentially pull a lot of that initial capital investment back out and carry on and put it into the next property. That's very, very smart. So now I've got an associate, a friend of mine who focuses on suited single family homes in and around Edmonton. And when he first got in the game, he didn't give a crap about legal versus illegal suites. So tell me your take on that, because I know, you know, different areas have different stringencies about that. Why do you think it's just, you know, because bottom line, you, you can probably put in an illegal or an non-conforming suite a lot cheaper than a conforming suite. Why do you think it's worth the extra money, time and effort to make sure it's legal? Well, to be honest with you, I, I would tell someone that's going to flip the house because you don't know, first of all, number one, it depends on what the use of it is, right? Like if somebody has their mother or, or extended family in the basement unit, you know, that's okay, right? So there's, there's nothing against that. They're living as a family and they've just got their own separate space. But when you're renting it out to two separate families, potentially people that don't know each other or have any contact really uh, with each other, potentially then you don't know what the other people are doing in their place, right? So the main concern is safety and the liability of something that might happen in the property. So, you know, we've all heard that illegal suites sometimes, I mean, I think there was a big case in Toronto not too long ago where the house burned down and the landlord ended up doing jail time because it was not legal. That's an extreme circumstance. Pardon me? Probably someone passed away or died in that situation, right? I believe so. But I mean, and I think that that's more the the most important thing. I mean, the other thing, you can get shut down or you can be made to conform with the bylaws, but the really the main concern is safety and and your liability. Right. Yeah, you know? I know, and, and I know I've, uh, an acquaintance of mine here in, in Kamloops actually had a non-conforming basement suite and some of the neighbors complained about 
his tenants and and that's exactly what happened the bylaws came in shut him down and he could no longer that's no longer a cash flowing property because it was mm -hmm. it, i really resonated what you said there about you know flipping and and the fact that you prefer the long you know you made 30 grand on that flip but if you had sat on that house you would have made 200 grand over <laughs> years. same thing happened to me man when i wasn't doing flipping but i was doing rent to own deals and same kind of thing happens right because because you kind of lock in your price at the end of two years and, and then if the market's going crazy you're missing out on tons of equity so yeah i'm with you i'm i'm, I'm into the longer term buying old stuff myself and you know what like i think the majority of investors are are there to like especially with rent to owns don't get me wrong i think the majority of them are there to see they try to buyers succeed but I mean, it's really hard and I've never done a rent to own, but I can see where it'd be really hard to, to not want to maybe just see if there's something that you could do to get out of that. If you see something where you're, where you're like, there's potential to leave a lot of money on the table and something like that. Well, there is. And there's some, yeah. there, there are folks that set their tenant buyers up for, for failure, the churn and burners. Yeah. I hate that. So there's, it brings down the whole, the whole business. Yeah. And then the other thing that I really love about what you're talking about is, you know, you kind of get the best of both worlds because, you know, with, with rent to own, the big appeal there is you get a lot more cash flow than with a traditional rental. But mm -hmm. so are you now because you've turned one, one rental into two rentals and your cash flow has, has gone up, not double, it's gone up exponentially because, you know, if you've got a single family home, you're lucky if it's cash flowing at all. But there you, you put in a legal suite and you get an extra whatever, 800, 900, 1100 bucks a month that's where the profits are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, it's, I, I would say this is extreme case and it's probably pretty hard to find now, but not only do you know what's behind the walls because you've done a lot of the work yourself or, or, or at least, you know, you're managing the crew that's doing the work themselves, but you know, the, that, the power of, bring, of pulling that money back out, right. And using it to, to move forward is great. Like on our first, on the first two that I did and Dave, look, it's, it's, that was a while ago. It's, it's pretty hard to find something like this now, but I would say you could still probably do it. The first two that I did, we managed to pull a hundred percent of our down payment and our rental costs back out of it. So we essentially have both of those yeah, both of those houses, you know, no money down. Nice, nice, mm -hmm. nice, nice. That's that's the goal. That's what it's all about. So it is a kind of a hypothetical question, but knowing what you know now, if you were going to do everything over again, starting from scratch, would you do anything differently? Well, see, this is kind of a trick question. I know it's going to sound a little bit like a hokey answer, but to be honest, it's one of those things where – and everybody does it now because you, you are in the market that you're in. We only live in the present, right? So – people have a tendency to overanalyze what a good deal might be. So, I mean, for me, if I could go back, there was a lot of deals that I passed on because I thought that they were asking five or maybe $10,000 or something like that too much. And again, like I would say, if you're out looking at three houses, you can only buy one. And the, and the way to do that is to analyze which one you think is the best at the time. Mm -hmm. But if I could go back, I think I would... I think I would more focus on the neighborhood that I was investing in and not necessarily 100% on the rental numbers that I thought I could get. Mm. Or the price. Yeah, or the price of the property. You know, because, I get the first person that's told me that. That seems to be kind of a, a bit of a common theme of experienced real estate investors is that whole idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, what I tended to do was buy the cheapest property, not necessarily the best area. And and I think that there was a lot of deals that I passed on that were, you know, if I look back on them, they were fantastic. But of course, yeah, hindsight well, is twenty-twenty. It reflects on what kind of a tenant you attract as well and what kind of rent, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Very, very well said. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, we're almost out of time here. Time flies, my friend. I think we'll probably wow. have to have you back on another episode. But I know you do a podcast as well. So tell us a little bit about that and how people can find out more about Rob Drake. Okay, yeah, sure. We do a podcast semi-monthly. We, uh, uh, Depending on when you listen to this, this may or may not be true. But in general, we put out one on the 1st and one on the 15th of every month. It's called the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And nice. myself and Sandy McKay from uh, the other side of Toronto run the show. And we just interview a bunch of guests and we talk about real estate and we do a little bit of a longer form than, than what you're doing here. So most of our interviews are roughly an hour long, something like that. We try and dig, a, dig deeply into things as much as you can. I mean, it's pretty tough to, a lot of people complain that they don't get all the answers, but you can't even get all the answers in three-day seminars or, oh. <laughs> or, or, or two-year courses. It's an ongoing learning process. So that's what we're trying to do every day. All right. And what's the, what's the URL for finding out about that? BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. Perfect. Rob, mm -hmm. it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for sharing your time and your wisdom on the call today. Yeah, thanks, Dave. It really did fly by. All right. Take care. Oh, uh, one more thing before I let you go, Dave. I'm sorry. I, I meant to mention, we would love to have you on the show. And I would, uh, would you be on the show. Tell That's great. Okay. So a little bit about how to shake the tree and find money partners and raise some capital. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it and I'll take that as your uh, accepted invitation. Oh, thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thanks, take care. Talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. bye. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. And if you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. Be very, very much appreciated. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries, about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.